Particularly if they're hyper-focused on what's new, like Snapchat or Instagram, it can serve to be a distraction. And you get caught up over here in the Snapchat world, you get caught up over in the Instagram world, and you haven't sent out an email newsletter that's been redesigned for mobile devices. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Rally and Engage presented by Cosvox. Cosvox helps small fundraising teams inspire activate and rally their supporters around their cause. Learn more and start your free trial at causevox.com. I'm Noah Barnett, the growth marketing lead here at Cosvox, and today we have the opportunity to talk with Heather Mansfield. She is the founder of the nonprofit Tech for Good blog and the author of the best-selling books Mobile for Good and Social Media for Social Good. Over the last 10 years, she's helped train fundraisers at more than 30,000 nonprofits, NGOs, and charities worldwide. She is a true gem and has contributed so much to help improve our industry's online fundraising efforts. During our conversation, we talk about how fundraising has shifted over the last 10 years, really due to the onset of the internet how nonprofits should be thinking about social media in 2017, and other trends nonprofits must keep an eye on throughout this next year. Let's dive into our conversation with Heather. So let's start off by having you share who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, my name's Heather Mansfield, and most days I'm tweeting, Facebooking, blogging, and just kind of studying the internet. And then I take all that data, all that kind of experience I have with the hands-on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Google+, Pinterest, Snapchat, and try to break that information, that knowledge down into very clear, simple language and blog posts and webinars. And I just try to help nonprofits. Yeah, and I feel like everyone that's listening to this right now is so thankful that you're doing that because as you started listing off everything that is involved with keeping up with the internet and just how people connect these days, it's so overwhelming. So uh, on behalf of them, thank you for all the work you do so that we can learn uh, from those experiences without having to kind of dig in ourselves. Well, thank you, Noah. I appreciate that. So you said that you you study the internet and just how we connect, but and, and really can kind of collect or gather that information so that you can really help nonprofits. Mm-hmm. But before we dive into like kind of your experience and extensive background and kind of nonprofit tech, why did you choose to help nonprofits? You know, what sparked that in your story? Yeah, well, to tell you the truth, I've never really done anything else. Uh, there was when I was in my 20s, I waited tables for eight or nine years to put myself through college and to travel the world. But when it came down to settling down, um, I never had any interest in business. I never had any interest in sales or doing anything else except helping nonprofits. Now, in the early days, it was program work or, you know, working as an outreach director in the nonprofit sector. But my personality was one and still continues to be today where I just kind of take the world very seriously and, 
you know, I think from my own childhood and my upbringing, I have a lot of empathy for people that um, struggle and need some kind of help along the way. So personally, I was just never interested in doing anything else. Now, coming of age, you know, in the late 90s, getting on Yahoo, getting on Google for the first time, doing my first Google search, you know, the rise of email, the rise of websites, I will have to say it was just kind of one of those magic moments in life. And even as I'm talking about it, that's how silly I am. I get goosebumps just remembering that the when I first started using the internet, I just fell madly in love with it. And being young and being idealistic, you know, I was like, I want to put two passions, one helping the world together with this other passion of the internet. And if, you know, I had very idealistic visions of it. If we could mobilize everybody, we could change the world. And I still believe that as I'm a little bit older, I'm a little more jaded, but, uh, you know, that's kind of how it started. I, I never really wanted to do anything else. Yeah, and you used a word I think uh, many of our listeners can really relate to is this idea of empathy. And yes. I think people working in the nonprofit space, that's something we really lean into um, to do good work, is that by having empathy for those that we serve, or even in our case here at Cosvox, you know, the, the nonprofit fundraisers having empathy for the, how hard it is to fundraise in today's kind of noisy um, world is something that's the core to success. Um, yeah. I loved how you said that. And then the other thing too, it's just as I've, you know, I think this is probably the 30 or 30 to 35, um, interview that we've done on this podcast. There's always these connections that are common, um, amongst all the people that we've interviewed. And it's really mm-hmm. this idea that most people found kind of a crossroads between passions or experiences or kind of their upbringing and then maybe what they liked and kind of have applied that to, to help make the world better in some way, whether that's in your case, kind of through consulting and um, helping uh, provide information to nonprofits or, you know, those in the weeds kind of serving children in Vietnam, for example. Um, early on in the podcast, we had a lady that kind of her experiences landed her in that role and she can't really explain it, mm-hmm. but she could, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And many of our listeners probably feel the same way. That's right. I mean, I agree with that. I think people that work in the nonprofit sector globally in the United States, they're special people, right? They're not driven by profit or greed or, you know, just kind of the self-serving kind of attitude. They're altruist. Yeah. And if you are listening to this and you're not in the nonprofit world and you think there's tons of money in nonprofit, I, you probably should just get another job at this point because you definitely have to be first serving others to really be successful and feel fulfilled, um, in kind of the nonprofit fundraising journey. Mm-hmm. But we, you talked about how kind of this idea of technology and nonprofits kind of came together. And you've been working in technology for a long time, and specifically mm-hmm. within nonprofit tech, I believe, for like the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But a lot has changed in 10 years. You've enlisted some of the things, you know, like LinkedIn and Instagram and Snapchat, and we can kind of go on and on forever. And all of that has come out within the last, I think, 15 years mm-hmm. from the rise of social media. Um, you know, we live in like a mobile first slash mobile preferred kind of world. Um, and really the world we fundraise in today has truly shifted. How have you seen this impact how nonprofits can fundraise and connect mm-hmm. with their supporters? Well, 
you know, it's kind of interesting because I've been doing this for a while. And in terms of the last 10 years, that that captures my social media experience. It started with getting on MySpace and then going over to Facebook and Twitter. But before that, I had a whole other decade of working with nonprofits and getting them online for the first time, doing online petitions in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, fundraising through the first Donate Now pages. When Constant Contact came out, you know, create the first email newsletters. And those were very revolutionary tools, very cutting edge tools. And a lot of it in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was just experimenting. Like, okay, you throw a website up and now we got constant contact and we got this donate page. And it took like 10 years to even get some kind of baseline understanding of what works in terms of online fundraising. So even though I've been, you know, like, yeah, MySpace, yeah, Snapchat, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of this other stuff. And oh my gosh, now there's smartphone apps and now you have to have a mobile, you know, website or a mobile compatible website. What I have found very interesting being 20 years into this is that what's old is new again. I see these consistent patterns that are circular in terms of nonprofit technology. So yes, there's all this new stuff. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's mobile apps, there's all this. But when I actually train um, NGOs or when I give my webinars or when I talk and I blog, I say very clearly, listen, if you don't have the core tools, the website, which came out in the 90s, the email newsletter, which came out in the late 90s, the Donate Now button, the Donate Pages that came out in the late 90s, if those core tools are a mess, there's no point in being over on Facebook. There is no point in tweeting your heart out. So what is new in terms of those core tools is, yeah, now we read them on a two-inch screen, right, on our smartphone or on a six-inch tablet screen or soon on a smart TV or even on a smart refrigerator. And that might seem really new and cutting edge, but what it really is is just goes back to these core tools, website, email, Donate Now pages. And when you look at the data, this is one thing that really fascinates me is I think a lot of nonprofits, particularly if they're hyper-focused on what's new, like Snapchat or Instagram, it can serve to be a distraction. And you get caught up over here in the Snapchat world, and you get caught up over in the Instagram world, and you haven't sent out an email newsletter that's been redesigned for mobile devices. And then we look at the data, email still raises more money than any other tool, and we haven't even reached the peak of email yet in terms of global users and how much email is going to grow over the next three to four years. So yes, there are all these new tools and you know we can talk about that a little bit more, whether or not I think social media will raise money and how it can do that. But I am very kind of straight to the point with nonprofits, which is what's your website look like? What's your email newsletter look like? And what do your Donate Now pages look like? And even now, 20 years, almost 20 years of having Donate Now pages, I can't believe how many are dysfunctional. I can't believe how many don't actually work very well, or you know, the email campaigns are boring, or the website looks a mess. So yes, new is exciting, new is cutting edge, but even still today, 2016, 2017, 20. 2018, 2019, it's still about your website, it's still about your email newsletter, and it's still about your Donate Now page. Yeah, and I love how you brought that up because I've talked to so many about like the new, and I think nonprofits do get caught up in the new, or fundraisers get caught up in saying, you know, how do we use this? Or their board comes to them and say, says, you know, hey, should we be on Snapchat? I heard it's the biggest thing out right now. Um, yeah. And kind of 
almost detracts fundraisers from kind of the core path of, you know, building relationships and effectively communicating and then creating the experience where individuals can engage with your nonprofit. And that is on your website, that is in your emails, and that is giving them an easy way to donate. Yeah, that's really what even sparked kind of why Coswox was created, because we felt like even though, you know, we were only six years ago started, we felt like there was kind of this gap in nonprofits being able to create a good experience on how they could tell their story and then activate people to donate online. Right. And that is, you know, the science of it. What is it that makes them trigger to tap that button or click that mouse to where they land on a donate page or they see a picture uh, and they actually follow through on the donation? So, you know, I think we both agree that sometimes the new is a big distraction. And I I do think age plays a lot into this too. So if I've come of age and website, email, and donate now, I've got 20 years of experience in that, right? And now I've got 10 years in social media experience, and I have to compare the two. Which has been more powerful for me? Which has, you know made more people sign up for my webinars or buy my books or come to my trainings or whatever it is. And it's definitely, you know, my blog, my email campaigns and my call to action buttons, you know, but if you're 26, 27, 28, you've come of age using, you know, Snapchat, you've come of age using Instagram, you're going to have a different opinion because your, your core experience of what you're coming of age in are those tools. So I've always said that I think the perfect online campaigner is, you know, someone that's got both the Gen X experience and the millennial experience because both have gaps. And when you put those two gaps together, they make the perfect online fundraiser. Yeah. And I think that's a great point too, because a lot of, well, and also too, depending on where you're coming from, it also goes back to like the audience you're serving. And, you know, a lot of I, I know just for my, I spent six and a half years at a nonprofit and we had kind of baby boomers that worked there, but then also kind of young millennials. And I was kind of, you know, right in the middle where yeah. they were like, oh, we need to be on this. And then, you know, other people were like, why, why are we wasting so much time on this? Or why are we doing that? And it was much more of an internal debate on preferences or opinions rather yeah. than really going to our supporter base and understanding where they're at how they're connecting and how we can communicate the work we're doing to mm-hmm. them through multiple channels. And sometimes we get caught up in like what channels we should be on or what's the best channels to be on. And we're even asked here at Cosbox all the time, like, should I be on Twitter or should I be on Facebook? And it's like, that, there's so much context for your nonprofit that's hard for us to know without asking a okay. hundred questions about your supporter base and your ideal kind of personas to answer those questions. Um, yeah. And it's so specific to the work that you're doing that there is no kind of blanket advice. That's right. I would agree with that. And I think what, you know, is fortunate now, almost like you said, 15 years into using social media is we now have a lot of good data about demographics in terms of age, race, rural versus poor. And I don't mean to use the word versus, um, but in understanding demographics and where people are online. So it's very important to say who are support, who are our supporters? What age group are they? Where do they live? What are they looking for? And you can literally now use the science, use the data of social online social networking to say, well, it makes sense for us to be on Twitter. Like if you're a public media station, um, it does not make sense to, uh, for us to be on Snapchat if we are a social security advocacy organization, right? 
So I think I think in the early days of social media that the trend was and I was guilty of this. If it's new, do it right. Just get on it and be an early adopter. So you'll get in and grow your base and you'll be so glad you did it in three years. But I think things have changed a little bit. I I think new social networks are going to have an increasingly more difficult time making it. I think we're going to see a consolidation of, you know, the core tools. And I don't know if necessarily early adoption is as important as it was maybe five or six years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, we even see that today. I think something I read this week said like four of the top six apps or most used apps are all owned by Facebook, you know, yeah. and, and, and three of yeah. them are, or two of them are messaging apps. And That's so right. there's a whole new kind of world of kind of moving away from like a feed of information like we've seen on Facebook, Instagram, and yeah. uh, Twitter more into like these kind of closed conversations even like Snapchat kind of borders that or Facebook That's Messenger right. or, you know, WhatsApp and tons of others that are used more broadly around the world. And so I think that's even kind of an interesting shift that we're seeing um, that nonprofits need to pay attention to. But before we get into that, I, I kind of want to circle back to social media mm-hmm. because it's, it's a topic that comes up all the time. I think nonprofits know that social media uh, or being online and building community is, is, is a good thing to do. But the question we get asked a lot is, uh, how can they do that? How can they build community? And can they fundraise effectively through these channels? And I know you've spent a lot of time thinking and writing on this. And I would love for you to speak to how you see the state of social media for nonprofits, especially as it relates to fundraising and raising money. Because that's the key that we get is like, yeah, it's great to have friends. It's great to have audience. But like, am I ra- how can I raise money? How can I right. leverage that to raise money? So I'd love your insights on that, Heather. Well, it's so interesting because it's so varied and it's so complex and it's it's very difficult to say with a blanket statement because, as you know, um, nonprofits are different. Their missions are different and also their capacity and their budgets are different. So in thinking about this question, I mean, the thir- first thing that comes to mind is – I've been thinking over the last year, like, wow, social media is not very powerful anymore. And you really have to be good at it. You have to know what you're doing. You have to have good visuals. You have to have good graphic design. You have to, you know, have a part-time or full-time staff person that can actually be in it every day, all the time and using it and working it and stimulating it because you can do that, right? It's this magical thing, these computer keys and going in and stimulating community. In terms of, you know, Fundraising, there's a couple of things going on um, that I'm excited about. First of all, I'll say the most obvious answer is it's very difficult to track. I think that's going to change. But I know that in my donor behavior, my personal donor behavior, I only give to nonprofits that I now like or follow on social media, right? So if I see something like right now, I'm seeing a lot about Syria and that motivated me to donate yesterday, you know, and I'm thinking about the end of the year. So I'm paying attention to the wildlife. That's my particular passion, wildlife conservation. I am seeing, you know, those Facebook, those tweets are standing out in my mind and I'm just calculating over here on the side, like, where am I going to donate in the last three days of the year? Now, can you track that? Is there a click through on that? No. But in, I think, many people's brains, social media is a trigger. It's not necessarily to click through and track, but it is something that reminds you this nonprofit's been being good, doing good, or in times of crisis, yes, Siri, I'm going to donate finally today. I see a picture or I see a story. 
So that's one part of social media that I've always believed in is, is of course, it's going to affect the consciousness, the giving habits of donors, but that's going to be difficult to actually quantify. However, you know, for a couple of years, you know, for three or four years, I've been saying to myself and on my webinars, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, which is basically these, what Facebook just launched, which is the Facebook fundraising tools, right? So you create a digital wallet um, or a digital identity within facebook.com, within the Facebook app, and it saves your credit card information. And it's very much in the early days, right, where you can go to particular Facebook uh, pages, nonprofits that have signed up for this tool, and you can tap, tap, give. Or in the future, you can tap and scan your fingerprint on an Apple uh, on iOS to make a donation. And, you know, I've been saying Apple is going to do it, and Android's going to do it, and Twitter's going to do it. And I literally have been like waiting, like waiting, like what's taking so long? Facebook did it first. Apple just announced that they've opened it up to a select number of nonprofits, which means they're kind of doing their thing that Facebook did. They're learning who are the players in the space, right? We need the GuideStar database. We need some system of verifying the nonprofit's legal status. We need some sort of system of transferring the funds once it's raised. Um, so that's evolving on Facebook. That's evolving on Twitter. It's evolving inside of Apple. Um, but it's not just going to happen within the social network. So the first question it begs is, well, is Facebook going to take over fundraising now? Is Twitter going to take over fundraising? And it could be the mechanism, but a tool like Causebox or, you know, another service provider partnering where you could go to a website in the future, a Donate Now page, and a Donate Now page won't have first name, last name, mailing address, credit card, you know, three-digit security code, all of this. It'll just be, if it's on a mobile, put your fingerprint on this, tap in an amount, Confirm donation done, right? So you'll be donating. The Donate Now page will actually evolve to be using digital wallet ID logins. Now, I don't know if it's going to be Facebook or Twitter or Apple. Um, I think Facebook, as you mentioned, I mean, they just the digital space that they own, that they, you know, control, they're, they're a pretty good shot. Same thing with Apple, but it could be PayPal, it could be Visa, you know, and it doesn't put fundraising services out of business, it just needs they need to evolve with the current and future way people are going to use money. So right now we have these Facebook fundraising tools. I don't see very many nonprofits experimenting very well. I don't see any best practices. You know, they just kind of throw something up. They don't know how to promote it. So that doesn't surprise me. It takes a couple of years for people to get good at it, to take it seriously. But I do think that is the future of social networks. And I think that's what will save them in terms of fundraising in response to low reach, low follower growth, low engagement rates will be the fact that there will actually be a digital payment system connected to the social networking experience. And if you think about donors, everybody, I've been watching this right now, so Siri has been happening for five years, but it's getting TV coverage. It's like going viral. It's the highest retweeted thing. You know, it's the highest shared thing right now, the last 48 hours on Facebook. So imagine in the future, Instagram owned by Facebook, you see a picture of a child, maybe a white helmet, you know, um, volunteer carrying a child out of the rebel in Syria. And all you have to do is touch that image 
go through a finger scan and you donate $5. So in terms of fundraising, I think we're in this slow period through social media, but we're on the precipice, quite frankly, of something that, you know, a change that I haven't seen that's probably, you know, the one that we have every 10 years. 20 years ago, it was websites and email. 10 years ago, it was social media. Now I think we're at another crossroads and it's going to be digital payments. Yeah, and I think you touched on so many things, but just on that last point, I think that is the fundamental change that's going to happen because the friction for online giving has been actually quite high, and it's gotten better over time, but as as commerce has evolved in kind of the business interest and kind of the, uh, as the world has come more online, uh, we've, uh, mobile adoption, all of those things have kind of driven the timing and the environment and the ecosystem to be able to solve the online digital transaction problem that still exists. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea that in the future, like you mentioned, someone can want to give and then give without doing very much work, maybe just touching the screen or just you know, putting in a password or a key code or whatever is kind of unlocks that wallet that they have somewhere else Mm -hmm. is actually going to be a huge benefit to nonprofits. The other thing too, that you've, you alluded to is, is kind of the decrease in engagement that brands are getting and Mm -hmm. how much more of today's kind of influential ecosystem is driven by this kind of people to people base. you know, whether it's, you know, the sharing economy or what's influencing our giving to, you know, you have a curated feed that you've designed. And so, like you said, your curated feed is showing you nonprofits that you've, you like, or your mm-hmm. friends sharing nonprofits that you might want to be interested in because you like them or people like you are maybe interested in these types of nonprofits. And so mm-hmm. we created this curated environment that's very closed. And I think each individual is going to have more and more of that over time. Um, just because we're seeing trends towards that, at least on our side where, you know, your supporters and your kind of individuals that are are rallying for your organization are going to be yeah. more and more important advocates as kind of social media evolves. And so I think brands or nonprofits fundraising themselves or saying, hey, give to us and then getting a response mm-hmm. is not necessarily it's not that clean cut. And I love how you touched on that. It's just because it's not trackable doesn't mean it isn't valuable because I think you're exactly right on how the organizations that I see in my feeds on a regular basis increases the natural touch points and, and kind of exposure I have to that organization so that when I'm ready or I feel motivated or inspired to give, I'm mm-hmm. much more likely to give to those because those are the ones that I have engaged with more regularly. So it's and a brand exposure to. thing. Exactly. And emotionally as well, like yeah. nonprofits that are really good at communicating emotion, inspiring emotion on social media, you know, they're going to be successful in terms of online fundraising through social media. Absolutely. And I think too, it's just there, it's also the value they've given even when I wasn't a donor, you know, like getting updates and stories about what's going on in Syria. Like you mentioned, uh, one of the organizations that I used to work for, like we've, they've been working there for five years. And so they've Mm kind of kept me up to date Mm -hmm. throughout the process 
adding value, keeping me up to date, keeping me in the know so that when you say, hey, did you hear what's going on in Aleppo? I'm like, yes, I do, because I'm being fed this information from the nonprofit. And so they're adding value to really increasing my social capital so that I can engage kind of correctly with people that talk about this or when an opportunity comes down and on Friday night, everyone's like, hey, did you hear what's going on in Aleppo? It's like, yeah, now I'm educated and can kind of guide that conversation. Mm -hmm. That was actually provided to me by that nonprofit. And so I think that's That's where the value of social media comes in, the value of being where your supporters are. And so Mm -hmm. I think nonprofits can really take a lot away from kind of engaging with their audience on a regular basis so Mm -hmm. that when someone is ready they're the first one that they think of. That's right. And you can't track it, but I definitely know it's changed completely my donor behavior. And it's actually made me much more generous, right? Like I give a lot more than I used to and more often because I'm so connected into the social causes and, and the internet, you know, sphere, the world, um, that how can you see a picture of the dolphin hunt, you know, happening in Japan right now and not give $10, right? So it's pretty fascinating. It's just going to get, it's going to get more complicated. Um, It's hard to peer into a crystal ball to see where it's all going to go. But I think the one thing that you can count on are digital payments, right? And this kind of ease of two-tap giving or finger stand or passcode, however that plays out, and having good content to inspire people. And then, like you said, bringing in the peer-to-peer component, right? And, you know, embracing new technologies like peer-to-peer, which really isn't new. It's been around for almost 15 years. And just being on it, which is, you know, I don't know how this will play out over time, but I think the last count I saw there were 1.4 or 1.5 million nonprofits in the United States alone. I mean, you're going to have to up your game, right, to stand out, to be good, because people in the future, they're not going to expect anything less except good to exceptional. Yeah. And I I think it's so important about that because I think competition is going up because the friction or the barriers to entry to getting into the nonprofit space or to doing good in the world, even as an individual, has kind of dropped significantly, um, almost to zero over the last few years Mm -hmm. um, because of a lot of just connectivity and being able to put up a website really quickly and a donate button and processing and et cetera. I think it's only going to get easier over time. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. to see how, like, individuals inspired to do things or even peer-to-peer donating to like the front lines is going to be really interesting to watch as well. But we, you know, just to kind of summarize, we talked about a lot. We talked about kind of the future. Um, Practically speaking, as we, as we begin 2017, um, what are a few things that, you know, people listening to this can do to really capitalize on some of the trends that you're seeing that are going to play out more as we head into 2017? Well, I would say, first of all, on the digital payment front, um, sign up for Facebook fundraising tools, at least go through the process, sign up, be ready, reevaluate your website, make sure it's mobile. Um, Don't ignore your email marketing. Make sure that you have clear subscribe options on your website. Build that email list as much as possible um, because it's going to reinforce whatever you're posting on social media. Email and social media need to go together one in one 
like if it's so interesting when I get an email from a nonprofit, I see it and I think, Oh, is that on Twitter? And then I go on Twitter and the story that's featured in their email newsletter is nowhere to be found on Twitter. Right. So coordinating email with social media. So to put it out in a simple numbered list, watch the digital payment space, right. Um, sign up for new tools as they become open to the general public. Now, I don't know if you have international audiences, this stuff is going to come out first in the United States. And I know that annoys a lot of NGOs to no end, but that has to do with the fact that we have the GuideStar database. We have a simple system for verification of a nonprofit's legal status. So number one, if you're based in the United States, sign up for Facebook fundraising tools, watch Twitter donations, watch Apple ID donations or Apple iOS donations. Number two, really start thinking about how to coordinate your email with your social media. Number three, if your organization has never created any infographics, look at infographics. Number four, start thinking in the global space, right? So we have a world that's constantly traveling, you know, crossing national boundaries. I think a lot of those boundaries where I only donate to nonprofits based in my own country, actually some of the early, I'm doing some research on this right now. And I'm finding that 40% of online donors say I donate to nonprofits all over the world, right? So even you might, even if you're a small animal shelter in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, you might not need to be thinking global. But if you're a national organization, definitely thinking about translating your content on your website. Um, We're going to be watching some new evolution and email and how it functions on a global space in terms of automatic translations. And then number five, what what would be number five? I would have to say if you are an NGO, this is someone speaking from experience, 20 years, I was around when .org became available. I'm going to be completely blunt. NGOs, this research I'm doing right now, NGO is the number one term used in Europe used in Africa, used in Asia, and used in South America. Nonprofit is only the number one term in the United States and Australia and Oceania. Nonprofits are completely asleep when it comes to the .ngo domains that have been released. I know this is normal. They've only been out two years. .org took about 10 years to come around. But some of the largest brands, I won't say anything, I won't say any brands right now, some of the largest, most international brands that you could possibly think of, the top 10 nonprofits in the world, haven't registered the .org equivalent of .ngo. There are going to be more than 5 million NGOs that come online in the next four years in India, Africa, Asia, and they're all going to be buying up .ngo, right? And meanwhile, here in the United States, we're like, oh, we're not an NGO. We don't need that. It's also a verified domain name like .gov or .edu. So thinking about where we're going in the global space, just within the last week, I've found two fake nonprofits on the internet. In the future, this is going to be growing as more and more people come in, like you said earlier, creating their own nonprofits, creating PayPal accounts. A lot of them could be fake. When you see .ngo, you know that that is a verified legal nonprofit. So I was around in the late 90s when, you know, .org was going out the window and you had to hurry and get in. Um, If you work in any kind of international space and you have not bought your .ngo domain, you are going to regret that like you will not believe in a couple of years. That would be number five. Yeah, and I love how you brought up just kind of the global trends that are going on. Because even kind of like wealth distribution and charitable giving distribution, I think, is changing. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of segments of the world that are looking to give or looking to invest 
Um, we know we saw that in kind of these Asian markets, even though yeah. we're a U.S. based, you know, there was a lot of Asians uh, or in, in Asia that were donating to us because they cared about the global work that we were doing and That's being right. accessible to that um, is going to allow you to be able to grow your impact in a way yep. that, you know, other organizations that aren't catering to that um, aren't going to be able to. Um, and I think that's really important. I saw some data recently at a conference um, that South Korea, Mexico, and Argentina were the three emerging countries where the fastest online growth to nonprofits outside of those countries was occurring. So thinking on a global scale, thinking internationally, multiple languages is really, really important. If you're Amnesty International, you need multiple languages. You need a very globalized online communications and online giving platform. Yeah, and even to bring it back for those that might not be national organizations listening, I think some of the things you said at the beginning and just like looking at social payments, looking at kind of online, reevaluating your website as you move into 2017, just make sure it's mobile friendly. Uh, make sure you can donate from your phone. Oh, yeah. Um, checking on your emails and really considering that. I love how you brought that up. These multi channel campaigns where you can't just run hey, we're going to mail, and then we're going to email about something different, and we're going to post on social. Integrating those channels and connecting. There's so many tools that allow you to mail an appeal to your donors, then email them, and then use that same email list to target them on Facebook. And so those Mm -hmm. are the types of things that I think are going to increase response rates and are really important for all nonprofits listening to that. Um, Anyways, we've kind of... Uh, talked about so much and I, I want to yeah. kind of uh, be conscious of our time and sure. I'm so grateful for that you know we were able to spend this time together especially as we head into 2017 I think you're the perfect um, guest to have just based on your experience and your expertise so thank you again for the work that you do for nonprofits um, for those that are listening and want to learn more about the research you do or the webinars and trainings where can they find you online and connect with the work they can go to nptechforgood.com NPTech for yeah. good. In, as in Nancy, P is in Paul, tech, T E C H, F O R, not the number four, good.com. Excellent. <laughs> and those that are listening on iTunes, you can find it in the descriptions or anywhere else you can see it in the show notes. I'll include a link over to Heather and the work that she's doing with uh, nonprofit tech for good. Um, thank you so much, Heather, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your 2017. Thanks, Noah. Okay, have a good day. We'll raise a lot of money in 2017. We'll see. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Heather. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Rally and Engage. You can find other episodes on iTunes or on our website at cosvox.com slash podcast. While there, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Reviews are extremely helpful and will ensure the show gets seen by other nonprofit leaders. We'll be back next week with another guest who is serving in the trenches. We'll see you then.